Chapter Two of The Visioning, a novel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. The Visioning, a novel by Susan Glasspill. Chapter Two. And now that they were face to face across a tea table, Miss Jones was bunkered again. How get out of the sand? She did not know. She did not even know what club to use, for never had she drunk tea under similar circumstances. Life had brought her varied experiences, but sitting across the teacups from one whom she had interrupted on the brink of suicide did not chance to be among them. She was wholly without precedent, and it was trying for an army girl to be stripped of precedent. They were sitting at a window which overlooked the river, the river which was flowing on so serenely, which was so blue and lazy and lovely, that May afternoon. She looked to the place where, then back to the girl across from her, the girl who but for her, she shivered. Is it coming back? the girl asked. No, I think not, but I hope you will not go. Then, desperately resolved to break through, she asked boldly, Am I keeping you from anything? A strange gleam, compounded of things she did not understand, shot out of her. To be followed with, Important? Oh, I don't know. That depends on how you look at it. The only thing I have left to do is to kill myself. I guess it won't take long. Kate met it with a sharp, involuntary cry. For the sullen steadiness, dispassionateness, detachment, with which it was said, made it more real than it had been at the water's edge. But, but you see, it's such a lovely day. You know, you know it's such a beautiful place, was what the resourceful Miss Jones found herself stammering. Yes, agreed her companion. Pleasant weather, isn't it? She looked at Katie contemptuously. You think weather makes any difference? That's like a girl like you. Katie laughed. Laughing seemed the only sand club she had just then. I am a fool, she agreed. I've often thought so myself, but like most other fools, I mean well, and this just didn't seem to me the sort of day when it would occur to one to kill oneself. Now, if it were terribly hot, the kind of hot that takes your brains away, or so cold you were freezing, or even if it were raining, not a decent rain, but that insulting drizzle that makes you hate everything. Why then, yes, I might understand, but to kill oneself in the sunshine. As she was finishing, she had a strange sensation. She saw that the girl was looking at her compassionately. Catherine Waywards Jones was not accustomed to being viewed with compassion. It would be foolish to try to make you understand, said the girl simply finality in her weariness, it would be foolish to try to make a girl like you understand that nothing can be so bad as sunshine. Katie leaned across the table. This interested her. Why, I suppose that might be true, I suppose. But the girl was not listening. She was leaning back in the great wicker chair. She seemed actually to be relaxing, resting. That seemed strange to Kate. How could she be resting in an hour which had just been tacked on to her life? 
and then it came to her that perhaps it was a long time since the girl had sat in a chair like that. If she had had a chance, when things were going badly, to sit in such a chair and rest, might the river have seemed a less desirable place? She had always supposed it was big things, queer, abstract, unknowable things like forces and traits that made life and death. Did chairs count? As the girl's eyes closed, surrenderingly, Katie was glad that no matter what she might decide to do about things, she had had that hour in the big, tenderly cushioned wicker chair. It might be a kinder memory to take with her from life than anything she had known for a long time. Catherine had grown very still, still both outwardly and inwardly. People spoke of her enviously as having experienced so much, living in all parts of the world, knowing people of all nations and kinds, but it seemed all of that had been mere splashing around on the beach. She was out in the big waves now. She looked at the girl, looked with the eyes of one who would understand, and what she saw was that someone, something, had, as it were, struck a blow at the center. And the girl, the something that really was her, had gone to pieces. Everything was scattered. Even her features scarcely seemed to belong to each other. So how must it not be with those other things, inner things? Oh, things one did not know what to call. Was it because she could not get things together it seemed to her she must make them all stop? Was that it? Did people lose the power to hold themselves in the one that made you you? What could do that? Something that reached the center, not many things could. Something perhaps that kept battering at it for a long time and just shook it at first and then it was too dreadful to think of it that way. She tried to make herself stop. The girl's face was turned to the out-of-doors, to a great tree in front of the window, a tree in which some robins had built their nests. Such a tired face, so many tear marks, and so much less reachable than tear stains. A beautiful face, too. If all were back, which the blow at the center had struck away, if she had all of her, if lighted, it would be a rarely beautiful face. The girl was like a flower. A flower, it seemed to Kate, which had not been planted in the right place. The gardener had been unwise in his selection of a place for this flower. Perhaps he had not used the right kind of soil. Perhaps he had put it in the full heat of the sun when it was a flower to have more shade. Perhaps too much wind or too much rain. Katie wondered just what the mistake had been for the flower would have been so lovely had the gardener not made those mistakes. Even now, it was lovely. Lovely with a saddening loveliness, for one saw at a glance how easily a breeze too rough could beat it down, and one knew there had been those breezes. Every petal drooped. A strange desire entered the heart of Catherine, a desire to see whether those petals could take their curves again whether a color which blunders had faded could come back to its own. She was like the new gardener eager to see whether he can redeem the mistakes of the old, and the new gardener's zeal is not all for the flower. Some of it 
is to show what he can do, and much of it the true gardener's passion for experiment. Katie Jones would have made a good gardener. And yet it was something less cold than the experimenting instinct tightened her throat as she looked at the frail figure of the girl for whom life had been too much. I must go now, she was saying, with what seemed mighty effort to summon all of herself over which she could get command. You are all right now. I must go. But she sank back in the chair, as if that one thing left at the center pulled her back, crying out that if it could but have a little more time there. The girl in blue linen was standing at the feet of the girl in peak organdy. She had hold of her hand, so slim a hand. Everything about the girl was slim, built for favoring breezes. I have one more thing to ask. It was Kate's voice, was not well controlled this time. You may call it a whim, a notion, a foolish notion. Call it what you like. But I want you to stay here tonight. The girl was looking down at her, down into her upturned face, all light and strength and purpose, as one standing apart and disinterested might view a spectacle. Slowly, comprehendingly, dispassionately, she shook her head. It would be no use. Perhaps... Katie acquiesced. Some of the very nicest things in life are no use. But I have something planned. May I tell you what it is I want to do? Still, she did not take her eyes from Katie's kindling face, looking at it as at something a long way off and foreign. I am not a philanthropist, have no fears of that, but I have an idea, a theory that what seem small things are perhaps the only things in life to help the big things. For instance, a hot bath. I can't think of any sorrow in the world that a hot bath wouldn't help just a little bit. Now we have such a beautiful bathroom. I loathe hot baths in tiny bathrooms where the air gets all steamy and you can't get your breath. Perhaps one thing the matter with you is that all the bathrooms you've been in lately were too small. Of course, you didn't know that was one thing the matter. Like once at a dance, I thought I was very sad about a man's dancing so much with another girl, a new girl. Don't you loathe new girls? But when I got home, I found that one of my dress days was digging into me, and when I got my dress off, I didn't feel half so broken up about the man. An odd thing happened. One thing struck away came back. There was a light in the eyes telling that something human and understanding, something to link her to other things human, would like to come back. She looked and listened as to something nearer. Seeing it, Kate chattered on, against time, about nothing. Foolish talk, heartless talk. It might even seem to be pouring out to a girl who felt there was no place for her in life. But it was nonsense carried by tenderness, nonsense which made for kinship. It reached. Several times the girl who thought she must kill herself was not far from a smile, and at last there was a tear on the long lashes. So I'm going to undress you, 
Katie unfolded her plan, encouraged by the tear. And then, let's just see what hot water can do about it. And maybe a little rub. I used to rub my mother's spine. She said life always seemed worth living after I had done that. She patted the hand she held ever so lightly as she said, How happy I would be if I could make you feel that way about it too. Then I've a dear room to take you into. All soft grays and greens and oh, such a good bed. Why, you know you're tired. That's what's the matter with you. And you're just too tired to know what's the matter. The girl nodded, tears upon her cheeks, looking like a child that has had a cruel time and needs to be comforted. Katie's voice was lower, different, as she went on. Then, after I've brushed your hair and done all those comfy things, I'm going to put you in a certain, a very special gown I have. It was made by the nuns in a convent in southern France. As they worked upon it, they sat in a garden on a hillside. They thought serene thoughts, those nuns. You see, I know them, lived with them. I don't know. One has odd fancies sometimes, and it always seemed to me that something of the piece of things there was absorbed in that wonderful bit of linen. It seems far away from things that hurt and harm almost as if it might draw back things that had gone. I was going to keep it. Katie's eyes deepened. There was a little catch in her voice. Well, I was just keeping it. But because you are so tired, oh, just because you need it so, I want you to let me give it to you. With a tender strength holding the sobbing girl, Katie unfastened her collar and began taking off her dress. End of chapter. Recording by Sheila Blunt.